for those that weren't here, we had a service last Sunday evening called a testimony service. After the revival effort, we gathered and uh, uh, many people gave testimony about what God had spoken to them about. And I told Brother J.D. that I wanted to use uh, something he said because it struck home with me. After J.D. gave a testimony with literally uh, emotion in his eyes and mouth, he said, you know what? He said, uh, I remember being a lost church member. Let that, let that kind of play with your mind just a second. A lost church member. And he concluded his testimony with, if you have any doubt about your salvation, don't depend on your church membership. Get it right with God today. I identified with Brother J.D. because I remember being that lost church member. I remember being that lost staff member. And I took that thought this week to my prayer closet and to the scripture. And I multiplied this with these words. Billy Graham's been given the credit for this statement. I put it in my book, but when I wrote my book and put it in the book, I really tried to seek to um, confirm it. I can't find where Billy Graham said it, but it's this. We've heard it for years, that between 70 and 80% of church members are lost. Now, have you ever let that kind of sink into you? If you look around you and select the 10 people that are close in your closest proximity and your church members, select those 10 members and then think seven of 10 of us, if that is right, are not going to make heaven and are going to go to hell. And we're going to go to hell deceived. Then... Another thing is I prayed through this. I'm reminded of that 80-20 we call the 80-20 rule that 80% of the people in the church, excuse me, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, 70% of the people do 20% of the work, and 10% of the people, church members, do absolutely nothing. That's a sad commentary. It's a sad state. And so we wonder, we wonder about this thing of being lost church members. So this morning I felt incredibly pulled to this topic of types of church members. Have you ever given that a thought? Types of church members. Never have I heard a message on this. Never have I prepared a message on this. But I think today that we should deal with it. Particularly in light of what's going on in the church today. We heard Steve Hale tell us two weeks ago, depending on whom you talk to, between 80 and 90% of the churches are plateaued and declining. That really does not sound like a sound like a particularly healthy spiritual situation for the church of our Lord Jesus Christ to be in. So I want to offer you on the back of your bulletin, you can flip over there, and if you look at the text, you can find that we're going to do kind of a run through the Bible today because there is no place where it's just delineated all the types of church members. So I'm going to offer you five types of church members today. Type number one, you guessed it, the unsaved church member. The unsaved church member. Now, since we're talking about church members, since we're talking about unsaved, I have put together a little graph for us because you, because you and I can tell who we are by our focus. What is it that we are focused on? What is it that, that true child, children of God are focused on as opposed to what is it that people who are just church members? So run that on up there, if you will. 
On one side, it's the church members. Now, I'm going to just say this to you because people are going to be offended. You're, you're jumping on people and telling everybody's lost. No, I'm not telling you everybody's lost. What I'm going to do is present the, the, um, the biblical perspective of this and some concepts, and I'm going to let you decide where you sit. You don't have to answer to me. You have to answer to God. Quite honestly, wouldn't you prefer to answer to me? Hello? This shows focus. On the left side, it's for those who are lost church members, for those who just put their trust in the church member, those who are on the right side, <clears throat> those who have come to know Christ. So we began right there. For the one who is just a church member, they focus on Christ, on the church, and the, while the believer focuses on Christ. Now, we'll pause here just a second to say this. For years and years and years, we have either been lulled into or we have made it our point that we've got to get our family in church. We've got to be in church. We've got to go to church. If I could just get my kids who are about to go through a divorce into church, everything will be okay. Well, may I just tell you something? The church is not the answer for your problems. In fact, if you get involved in everything that a church is in, involved in, you will be so busy you will not be able to take care of your own spiritual life. On the other hand, the one who has been saved focuses on Christ. It's not a matter of getting them in church. It's a matter of getting them in Christ because when you get in Christ, you will get into the church. It's a matter of motivation. It's not something somebody can put their finger on. It's a matter of what we know deep in our heart. We get sold out. Yes, the believer will be sold out to the church, committed to the church, consistent in the church. But the church... It's what he does because of who he is in Christ. The second thing I will say to you, and some of these are going to get kind of, kind of uh, tough. Go ahead, if you will. The non-believer, the non-believing church member thinks programs are the answer. If we can just have one more program. Now, does anybody in this church think that we re really need another program? In fact, I suggest to you we need to scratch programs and we need to approach it from a ministry standpoint. Either we're concerned about programs or we're concerned about people. Well, Brother Jerry, isn't that the uh, same thing? Well, I know. Baptist churches are notorious for programming everything. And so we focus on the program, thinking the people will come. We were talking uh, the other night in an um, executive committee about churches that have gone up, gone down based on their programs. And the truth is, you can get a, the hottest program, the newest program, the one that the church around the corner is doing is working for them, and you can bring a few people in, but you've not changed their lives if you're not focused on their need. I'm not talking about their felt need. I need more money. I need a bigger car. I need a better house. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual needs. We focus on people and then let the, let the ministries form themselves around. But for the one who is just a church member, all about the program. Go ahead, if you will. This is one that a church really gets sucked into. Have you ever been a part of that church where it's just all about events? And you say, wait a minute, Brother Jerry, we got an event next week. Well, yeah, we do. But I hope Fall Festival and knowing Tina's heart, I know that it's not just about doing an event. It's about the people that we will see and the potential impact that we can have on their lives. You see, the lost church members just concerned about us going from one event to another. It can be a fall festival. It can be a children's event. It can be a student event. It can be a gospel singing. It can be a praise and worship concert. We just got to have an event while the believer in Christ, the one that's connected to Christ, is more worried about the effect that we have on someone's life. Move forward, if you will, Cameron. 
The non-believers generally wants to hang on traditions, whether they work or not. And in fact, how many times have I heard people tell me, well, that's Baptist. And we're going to hang on to Baptist tradition before we hang on to the truth of God. And by the way, I'm a Baptist from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I was born Baptist. I was bred Baptist. And one day when I die, I'll be a dead Baptist. You cut me, I believe the cooperative program. But you listen to me. Baptists don't have it all right. We say we're people of the book, and yet when the book says we need to do something different than we're doing, oh, good well, my granddaddy, it was good enough for my granddaddy, it's good enough for me. And do you know what? Years ago, I was in a church that would not renovate their fellowship hall because granddaddy drove that nail. And that, I've had a deacon to tell me that, Brother Terry. I said, don't we need to do something like this? He said, my granddaddy drove that nail on that wall right there. And being the uh, uh, sensitive, laid-back person that I am, <laughs> I looked at him and I said, you know what? You're right, and he should be credited with that. But I'm going to tell you what that, your granddaddy did. At that time, in those days, that was the very best he had because it was his Lord's church and he was not going to settle for anything second best. And I believe he'd be ashamed of you today for how it looks. You see, traditions aren't always right. The truth is always right. Move forward, if you will. Attendance versus assignment. You go, well, Brother Jerry, if I'm a believer, I'm not going to attend. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when attendance becomes... Let me just say it. One of my first... One of my first... uh, Churches, when I was in the pastor, we had a lady that had a 25-year attendance pen. And she received those two years that I was there, she received those pens over my objections. Because she had gotten sick for three Sundays, both years. Now, am I, cra- am I the only one that's crazy enough to think that if you're sick for three Sundays you can't, and you can't come, that you can't be perfect attendance? Does anybody else would agree with that? You see, when, when attendance is everything, as opposed to seeing our assignment. You know what our assignment is? To touch people, to reach people, to change people, to make, to make disciples of people. And never stop until we're able to impact people in that way. Let's move forward. I'm trying to get through this quickly. Most non-believing church members, non-believers, unsaved church members, they're worried about everything in time. They focus on the world, as we'll see in just a second. And the people who have a connection with our Lord Christ have one eye on eternity always. Because whatever we do here sets up what goes on over there. If that person sits beside of you, whether it's your wife, your mother, your husband, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your friend, your enemy, if you don't do something in their lives, if you just got a, if you got your eyes on time and how you feel about them in time, you know what's going to happen in eternity. They're going to spend an eternity in a place you don't want them to spend you, and they don't want to spend. Finally, and this is the most revealing, the church members always focus about the self, how it, how, how it impacts me. What, what about me? You know, I asked the pastor search committee, not ours, one time I said, if you did a survey of your community and you found out if you moved your service to 8 o'clock in the morning, people would attend, what would you do? Unashamedly, the little girl sitting across, the young mother across from me said, it would depend on how it affects me. Now, before we get on her too much, isn't that the way we are a lot of times? We see things about how they affect us as opposed to the service that we're supposed to give to our king. It was only after Christendom in like the 4th century 
when the church got put in the building, that church members thought that they had a right to expect something from the church. Before, the, before that happened, before that pagan leader put us in buildings, that renegade church of the first, second, and third centuries, that renegade church thought what they wanted to do was just survive. The unsaved church member. Move forward, if you will, and let's just poll right there a second. I want you to think about that a second. It's almost an unspeakable thing. We think, how that could that happen? This is the person that I was. Brother J.D. gave testimony he was. It is the person that probably some of us have been or some of us are. And it is difficult to believe that there is actually unsaved people in the church. Now, some of you are saying, Brother Jerry, you hadn't gotten us to the Bible yet. That's unlike you. And you're right. So take your Bible, if you will. Let's turn to Jude. Jude. Now, if you pull the Pew Bible out and you have trouble finding it, it's a little book, one chapter long, just before the book of Revelation. It's on page in your Pew Bible, 1038. 1038. Jude. He speaks to us about these unsaved church members. Jude. Page 1038. We'll begin reading in verse 1. I love to hear the Bible. I love to hear the Bible pages turn. Thank you for following along. I do have it on the screen for people who, who, you know, and what I've been told is that some of our folks, it's easier to read on the screen than it is in the small print that they have in front of them. So thank you for being here with your Bible. I'm going to let you remain seated because we're going to make a real journey through the Scripture today. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now I'm going to pause there to say, did you catch the connection to Jesus? He's a slave of Jesus. Oh, that's okay, but he's a brother of James. Now, James, we know, wrote, penned the book of James, and he is the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus' mother was Mary. His father was God himself. Mary and Joseph had a son named James that you see there, and Mary and Joseph had a son named Jude. So Jude is a half-brother of Jesus. Neither Jude nor James trusted Christ for their salvation until after the resurrection. He says, to those who are called, loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. That would be the church. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Dear friends, although I was eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith that was delivered to the saints once and for all. Now, here we go, guys. For certain men who were designated for this judgment long ago, that is lost people, have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into promiscuity and denying our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now scoot down to verse 8. Look at how he changes his designation of these certain men. Nevertheless, these dreamers likewise defile their flesh, despise authority, and blaspheme glorious beings. Now skip down to verse 10. Now it's not these dreamers and it's not uh, certain men, but these people blaspheme anything they don't understand. And what they don't know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, they destroy themselves with these things. Woe to them, for they have traveled in the way of Cain, have abandoned themselves to the era of Balaam for profit, and have perished in Korah's rebellion. 
These are the ones who like, are like dangerous wreaths at your love feast. They feast with you, nurturing only themselves without fear. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead, pulled up out, pulled out by the roots, wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Verse 16. These people are con- discontented grumblers, walking according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. What a sad, sad commentary on these church members. You see, it's sad for all kind of reasons. Now, I understand over my life, being in all the states that I've been in, I understand that from time to time, people come to church for all the wrong reasons. They come to worship, and they join the Some come to pervert and subvert. But I dare say most unsaved church members come in, like it said there in verse 4, by stealth. That is, they come in unnoticed. They come privately. And they come in, don't even know that they are lost. I can tell you I didn't know that I was lost. But I will tell you what I did know. And J.D. may have a different testimony. You may have a different testimony. But for me, I knew something wasn't right. I didn't know what it was. I knew all the right words. I could pray the prayers with anybody. I didn't try to be a troublemaker. I knew all the right stuff to say. And yet every time the Holy Spirit began to work in a service where I was a part of, something began to well up in me. And, and I would always dismiss it like, boy, I probably got some sin in my life. And, and, and I did. And, and, and I never would deal with it. You see, it's a, it's a miserable thing to be a lost church member. Because if you're a lost church member, you know something's wrong, but you don't want to admit there's something wrong because in our day and age in which we live, it's unspiritual to have something wrong. But look down these very quickly, and I will just kind of... They came in by stealth. The unsaved church member turns the grace of God into a license to sin. You know why? Because, oh, God's going to forgive me. It'll be all right. May I just say this to you? If that is your spirit at all, ever, at any time, chances are you don't have the spirit of God in you. Because when you sin and you know it's a sin... And you sin because God forgave you last time, so he'll forgive you this time. You have now just turned the grace of God into a lie. You have stepped on Jesus as he's been crucified. You can move on down. Nevertheless, verse 8, dreamers defile their flesh. And those unbelieving church members, unsaved church members, they despise authority. Has there ever been a day in our life when everybody inside the church wants to be a chief? And nobody wants to recognize the spiritual authority given by God himself. And unsaved church members, they tend to be against everything. You know why? Because it tells us in verse 10, because they blaspheme anything they don't understand. They don't seek to find out. They just just do away with it. And I'm trying to hurry here. There's a lot more to be said. In verse 12, unsaved church members, they're like a dangerous reef. Now, fishermen, you know about reefs if you've ever been out in the Gulf 
A reef will tear your boat up and you'll never know what's going on. They attend, that's what it says here, they attend your fellowships, they attend your worship time, they're lost and they're so miserable and they're always scraping trying to get something stirred up and started so it can pull the ship down. Now, of all the things that I've read, verse 16 here seems comical to me. It says, these people are discontented grumblers. And you know me with my love mind. They're discontented grumblers as opposed to contented grumblers. What it says is that they're going to find fault with everything. Brothers and sisters, please hear your pastor. And by the way, if you, if you think we've just pulled that one out, is that, you know, one of the things that you can do, Second Peter is a parallel book to Jude. And in Second Peter... It says this, Second Peter chapter 2, There are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves. You can read it, chapter 2, Second Peter. There is biblical evidence that among the brethren there will be unsaved people trying to exert their influence. And what I will say to you, an unsaved person, as a general rule, is going to tear up fellowships because they don't understand, because they can't think spiritually. The unsaved. But may I say this before I pass this off? The hope is that the Holy Spirit is still dealing with that unsaved heart. You will never make heaven. You will never miss hell if you've never come to a place where you knew that you were standing on a spider web, spider web above hell and it was about to break and Jesus lifted you out. It is only with his forgiveness. You know what the truth is? Unless you have been drawn by the power of God to the Son of God for the forgiveness of God into the light of God, you have no standing before God except to say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. The unsaved church member. The second one that I see here is not only the unsaved church member, but the unengaged church member. The unengaged church member. Now, some of you are going to go, oh, I know who that is. I know who that is. Yeah, I do. That's, that's Tim, Jim, Tony, um, Tommy. They used to be so active here, and now they're disengaged. Well, that's, you would be right. That would be disengaged, but I want to keep in the building today. I want to keep it in the building today. Let's get some scriptural reference. And for the sake of time, we're not going to turn there, but you can write them down. You can go to 1 Thessalonians, and you hear Paul say to them, We exhort you, brothers, warn those who are lazy. Hello? Do you know what some other terms for the word lazy there happens to be? It happens to be dis, um, unruly. It happens to be idle. It happens to be disorderly. It happens to be not living right. And Paul doesn't just stop in First Thessalonians. He moves it to Second Thessalonians as he says, For we hear that there's some among you who walk irresponsibly, not working at all, but interfering with the work of others. It's not enough for the disengaged church member to not be disengaged. They want other folks to get messed up. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. We don't want to miss it, do we? 
walk irresponsibly. You know what that tells us? That tells us that as a believing church member, we have a responsibility to God's family. We have the responsibility to not be lazy. Now watch this. You know how these two verses were written? You know why they were written like this? Because in the church at Thessalonica, they had received the word and the affirmation that Jesus was coming soon. They thought he was coming in their lifetime. And so they quit their job. They quit working in ministry. And they went out and sat on a hill and started looking for him to come. And Paul even writes, if you don't work, you don't eat. You see, that disengaged church member has, has lost the concept that everybody has a part to play in the kingdom of God. The third one, and I, there's much more to be said, the third one is the unloving church member. The unloving church member. Gosh. Every time I think of an unloving church member, I'm reminded of the old story of the man who, was, who got awakened one morning by his wife and said, it's time to get up and go to church Sunday morning. And he just, you know how we do sometimes, men, you put the pillow over your, face, your head, you roll back over, go back to sleep. She wakes him up about 15 minutes later. She said, I told you it's time to get up and go to church. He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. She walked out of the room. He got under the covers, went back to sleep. Third time she came in here, she pulled the cover off of him, pulled the pillow out. She said, I said it's time to get up and go to church. He said, I'm not going to church today. And she says, why are you not going to church today? He said, because nobody likes me. And I don't want to go somewhere where I'm not liked, and they don't need me. And she said, well, let me give you one reason why you are going to church today. And he said, why is that? She said, you're the pastor and expecting you to preach. <laughs> you know, the truth is, is that it seems almost uh, uh, like an oxymoron to talk about unloving church members because the Bible has so much to say about it. Loving one another. By my count, 13 times in the New Testament, the words love one another appear. And I know it's important because our Lord spoke four of those times in the upper room. In the upper room where he was trying to convey to these, to his disciples, that he was going to be gone. And they had to lean on one another. If you want to write them down, they'll be on the screen. John 13, 30, uh, 34 is where he begins. He says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another just as I've loved you. You must also love one another. And by this, and by this, or in this way, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And then over in verse 15, chapter 12, he says, as a father loves, excuse me, verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 12. Did I get that right? This is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. There are many other verses here. And then, verse 17, he goes on to say, this is what I command you. I don't suggest it. I don't just think it's a good idea. I command you to love one another. You see, Jesus was saying, I'm going to be dead in 24 hours. The way people are going to know who you are is by the love that you have for one another. And yet, no preacher gets more snickers or comments when he talks about how loving we are. And it's an indictment. The way that they... Could it be that the reason that the world out there don't know that we're His is because they see how we love Him in here? Now, Brother Jerry, what does love mean? 
It means that you respect someone. It means that you want the best for them. And according to Jesus' words, greater love hath no man than this, than he would lay down his life for his friends. It doesn't mean you agree on everything. It doesn't mean you like everything about something, someone somebody does. But it means that you see through the eyes of eternity and not through the eyes of time. You see through the eyes of divinity and not through the eyes of you personally. It means that, you're, that you expand your vision to the point that you embrace those uh, precepts and those attributes that our Lord God wants us to have. I suggest this to you. Is that this could be the critical issue in the American church today. And by the way, just to be clear, we can say that we love God. But if we say that we love God, we have no choice but to love one another. John writes in 1 John chapter 4. He says, don't say. Or he says, how can you say that you love God whom you've not seen and not love your brother whom you have seen? He that says this, he that says he loves God and hates his brother is a liar. Is that a convicting statement to you? So what's the remedy? Well, I'll just suggest two things for you before I move to number four. The first one is, if, you re if we really want to be a loving church member, we have to begin at our salvation, at number one. Because we will never love those folks who annoy us who get on our nerves, the ones who divorced us, the ones who have hated us, the ones who've mistreated us, the ones who've abused us. And by the way, nobody has done anything more to you than you've done to God. Check your salvation, because how could it be, how could it be that you and I have experienced the love of God without sharing the love of God? Check your salvation. The second thing I suggest to you is to check the sin in your life. Did you know if you have sin that's unconfessed, that'll impact who you are, how you perceive life, and what you do? Loving, a loving believer, a loving church member is one who looks past the fluff to the spirit and sees the heart. Carrie Shook is a pastor out in Houston, Texas. Started a church, and today they're running about 4,000. This has been only about four or five years, maybe six. I heard him, I read a tweet that he put on the uh, Twitter. He said, you know, my staff may not always agree with the decisions I make. They may not like them, 
but they trust my heart. That's what love is. Trust in someone's heart. The unloving church member. Number four, the unspiritual church member. Now for me, it's probably easy to see how one can become an unspiritual church member in today's culture. The scripture that I'll take you to is 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It'll be on the screen for the sake of time. Follow along. Paul writes to them, and he says, Brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babes, as babies in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you were not able to receive it. In fact, you are still not able because you are still fleshly. For since there is envy and strife among you, you are you not living are you not fleshly and living like ordinary people? For whenever someone says, I'm with Paul or another, I'm with Paul, Apollos, are you not typical men? <laughs> so, what is Paul? What is Apollos? They are servants through whom you believe, and each has the role the Lord has given to them. You see, the unspiritual people get, first of all, they can't stomach the truth of God. And let me just kind of give you a couple of words, maybe a couple of bullets. The first thing is that they're, the unspiritual church members, that person, yes, they've walked out, yes, they've been baptized, possibly they've been saved, and maybe some hurts come into their life, and now they've embraced bitterness. And, and here's the thing, they can't seem to see the church and the world through spiritual eyes because they've got one eye on the world, one eye on the church, and they're trying to run the church in a fleshly manner. They can't sell out to trust in Christ and being spiritual and walking by faith because business tells them so much. The world tells them so much. They can't stomach the truth of God. And you find them. You find them time and again when an issue comes up instead of really seeking God and doing what he says, they want to do what's most comfortable, most convenient, and least confrontive. There is no room for the spirit to really lead because we've already got it figured out. They can't be talked to, as he says, as spiritual people because they're still eating the, the milk. There's... A, You'll find that the unspiritual people are those that envy and strife seems to stay around, hang around all the time. Whew. Let's end with this last one, and that is the unadulterated members. Now, you're going, Brother Jerry, that is a crazy word, unadulterated members. As an unadulterated member, let me just tell you how I'm using this. The word adult would be the root word. That means someone who's mature, kind of has some wisdom about them, has some convictions about them, the adult. All of us know what you do when you commit adultery. You compromise. Unadulterated is that person who is pure, that person who is committed to the head of the church, that person who, who above everything else wants to be what the Lord really called him to be. Now, if you will, take your Bibles 
and turn to First Peter. First Peter. First Peter follows James. It's probably somewhere around a thousand twenty-eight, twenty-seven in your Bible. Be a guess. This is a call to us to be unadulterated, pure, undefiled, spirit-filled, loving, engaged members. He calls to us, and Peter writes, Therefore, get your minds ready for action, being self-disciplined, and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. God's standard of holiness has never been rescinded. And if you address as father the one who judges impartially based on each one's works, you are to conduct yourself in reverence during this time of temporary residence. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from, your, from the fathers, not with imperishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus like that of a precious lamb without defect or blemish. That means you've been saved. He, Jesus, was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of the time for you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God by obedience to the truth, having purified yourself for sincere love of the, of your bro- of the brothers, love one another. There it is again, from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower drops off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached as gospel to you. You see, the unadulterated church member is that person, that person who has sold out to the Lord. It's that person who understands the body life. The other four cannot understand body life. Don't turn there. Ephesians chapter 11, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says, Jesus gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Here's why. For the training of the saints and the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a statue measured by Christ's fullness. That means that our maturity is not, is not compared to one another, it's compared to him. And then we will no longer be little children tossed by wind and and blown around by every wind of teaching, but by human cunning and cleverness in in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is head, Christ. You see, the church member is one that knows he's been saved. The the the, the real church member that God's looking for is the one that is engaged in the ministry because he's loving. He's not unloving. He loves people in the church. He loves people outside the church. And he's spiritually growing every day. Here's the question. I've presented to you five types 
of church members. Some of you will say, well, nobody is disengaged and quit because they think Jesus is coming back, like the Thessalonians. Oh, really? Oh, really? I want you to think about this. My last question. If you were divinely given a word from heaven that our Lord Jesus was returning to claim his own tonight at 10 o'clock, what would be different about your afternoon and evening? Would there be someone that you needed to call? Would there be someone you needed to call on? I guarantee you this. If any of us had that revelation given to us, this building would not be as empty as it's going to be at 6 o'clock. What type are you? Let's pray together.